I want to start this episode out by reading you an email, one that I got from a previous boss of mine back in 2013, shortly after leaving their company. Ryan, treat this as a cordial warning to halt your custom printing business that you started. We could take legal action against you and would win as you are an obvious breach of your agreement you signed with us. If we come to find your business still is in existence, we will begin legal action. It saddens me to write this as you blatantly are copying a business idea from your time with us. What was that business idea they claimed I was copying? Well, that was Case Escape. And for the record, I didn't feel that I had copied anything. But we're not here to talk about that. Today's interview is with my former business partner from the time I spent building Case Escape with him, Matt Feldman. We went to college together, became good friends, and at the time we started working on CaseScape as a side hustle, we were also roommates. Friends, roommates, and business partners. That's a lot. Over the course of our first year working on CaseScape, almost entirely on the side of our full-time jobs, we grew the company up to more than $160,000 in revenue. We stayed up day and night doing trade shows, made our first big sale straight from our garage, and eventually quit our day jobs. However, despite getting impressive early revenues, time would tell us that we probably left the security of our regular paychecks a little too soon. After several months of going at it full time, there wasn't enough net profit coming into the business to pay ourselves both a strong salary. Matt and I eventually made the difficult decision to move to our hometowns on opposite sides of the country to cut costs and help grow the business. It was a setback. It was a point where it was like, we have to figure out what we're going to do in order to keep this alive, or we're not going to be able to keep it alive. This tough decision panned out to be a great move for the business. We had just launched our Etsy store, selling our most popular phone case designs from the handful of trade shows we'd done, and the momentum really picked up across the business. Sales of both individual cases and our startup kits began doubling each month. Eventually, I made the move up to San Francisco and took an offer to join a startup I had been consulting with on the side, while Matt continued running CaseScape full-time, which is still thriving today. And that is what we're here to talk about. Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson. In this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Matt Feldman, the owner of Case Escape, the maker of a phone case printer that can print custom cases in a matter of just a few minutes. Matt and I co-founded CaseScape as a side hustle right after graduating from college. We worked on it together for a couple of years before I jumped into the world of startups, and Matt's been able to grow the business significantly over the past few years. In this episode, we're talking about how we made our very first sales, generated the first $10,000 in revenue for the business, and validated our proof of concept without spending much money up front. We're covering how Matt's been able to grow the business well into the six figures. We dive into the exact strategies Matt's used to grow his Etsy store up to a point where he's selling hundreds of cases per month. All of this and much more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Matt Feldman. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Ryan? Awesome, man. Thanks for joining. So quick question for you. What book are you reading right now, or what would you say has been your favorite recently? I might actually have it with me. 
This is my number one right now. Nice. The War of Art. Is this on your list? Oh, yeah. That's on my list. What do you think so far? Are you reading it right now? You know what? I'm just taking excerpts from it. I'll just literally open it up. It's a really good book because you can open it up to a certain page, read a little a chapter, but they're like one or two pages, and then just move on with your day. But they're, they're good reminders, really. All right. So let's talk about Casescape. So longtime readers of mine will recognize you and remember that Casescape is one of the first businesses started, which we co-founded together back in 2013. So take us back to those days. Um, what did you see Casescape becoming back then? Well, we started it right out of the Newport Beach house right there on, on the water. And um, I mean, at that point, we just knew we wanted to be entrepreneurs. It didn't really matter what the business was. We wanted to just start it and go. Um, and I mean, you never know what something's going to become when you're first getting started, regardless of how big the idea is at first. But we really, it, it evolved over time. I mean, it started out as a simple concept and then we grew another selling channel and and more suppliers and things and, you know, Back then, we were just happy to get one sale, you know, our first big sale, our first bulk order, things like that. And, you know, never could have foreseen what happened to today. What was our first sale? Was it an individual case or was it a startup kit or like a bulk order? I can't even remember. We had, well, our big, our first big event was the LA Fair. I, I distinctly remember that. It was this 30-day fair where we were like slaving day in and day out. Sometimes we, we went together, but then sometimes we had to go like individually to go to this fair, you know, like it was a 10-hour day. Um, but our, our first sales were individual case sales on our website. We thought that if we were to build like a custom backend um, to our website that we would gain some, like, some serious traction. Um, little did we know how expensive that actually was going to be. And, um, and, and in order for it to actually be effective. And so we kind of tried to make it work with our budget, but it really wasn't working. Um, so we went out into the public and started selling. And that's when we finally started getting some traction. So I remember in the early days spending, I think it was like 2,300 bucks, 2,500 bucks. I don't know why I remember the numbers so specifically, but essentially we spent a couple thousand dollars on a web developer to try and do like this custom case sort of generator on the back end of our website so we could take orders. Um, in retrospect, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that was one of the dumbest ways we could have spent $2,000, which was a pretty meaningful amount at the time. Um, well, how do you feel what's about interesting, that? What's interesting is that a lot of people still ask me to this day, they're like, well, are custom cases the big sell or do people rather, would they rather pick designs? You know, how big are custom cases? And I say, the combination's important. You need to have both. And when we were starting out, it was just purely custom. And, you know, people didn't know which picture to choose or what to do. They wanted some sort of a direction. Um, and when we were building that, we went to this like seminar. And then afterward, we were, we were speaking to this, this web developer, we had no idea what to do. Um, so that in hindsight was pretty stupid, but we also gained a lot of um, advice in terms of like where to go from there with our website and how to really build it properly. So, you know, it was a hurdle that we got past eventually. So, yeah, so the beginnings were a little rocky, I guess you could say. Um, how would you describe Casescape today? And, you know, what's like the biggest part of the business now? Well, we just had our basically our four year uh, anniversary. Um, so it's taken a lot of terms. I, I try to like put a stamp on each year, you know, in, in terms of like what this year is going to be about, where our biggest growth is going to be. And sometimes when you start the year off and you have a plan, I mean, being an entrepreneur, it changes on a dime. Like I never know when the biggest order of the year is going to come in. And I just have to put all my cards out there and hope that one of my relationships, my big relationships is going to close. Um, you know, between talks of, you know, when we were starting out, we were happy to sell 
10 cases a day. Um, and now I'm looking to do deals with, you know, big, big guys like AT&T, Taco Bell, Vogue Clinique. So it really just, it, it transfers your, your mindset just grows. And then you're, you're talking to a different league of people really, but it all starts with that daily grind really. And so when you talk about big deals, you're talking about like 500,000 case orders for like these big companies that are doing them for like promotions or for employee gifting or something, right? That's one channel that, that you can explore. I mean, if, you, if you're starting out this business, one channel is obviously to jump into your local community and sell in bulk. I mean, that's a way to move a lot of product at once and, and really is a good way to get you off the ground. So, all right. So you've got that sort of side of the business and you have startup kits also, which you mentioned earlier. Um, can you explain what the startup kits are? Sure. So right around the time when we were starting out and we were realizing that like, hey, people actually want to do this business too. Um, they don't just want the custom cases. They want to actually make the custom cases themselves and sell them to you know their network. Um, and so we kind of flipped that business model at the time. And instead of selling the cases ourselves to the end user, we were selling a business in a box. Um, so the startup kit comes with all of the equipment, blank cases, ink, paper, training that you would need to get started with your business. And we package it all for uh, a simple price of, of less than $5,000. Um, and so then you'll have enough capital to really grow the other aspects of your business because we realize that it's not just about having everything you need at that point. It's also getting out there, having advertising dollars. And that's what a lot of people forget um, is that total how much money they're really going to be spending on a business rather than just the business in a box aspect. So that's why we keep our prices pretty low and our training and our training is crucial in order to get them there. And especially since uh, some people have to learn on their own that they can't just get the website they need for, say, 25 random dollars. And you might have to burn a few time, burn a few dollars rather in order to get to a place where your business is actually bringing in customers. Well, that's one of the really nice things is that when they come to us, we have the experience of working with over 100 clients doing this sort of business. So instead of saying, hey, spend 10 grand on a website, I would say spend $100 on an Etsy site. You know what I mean? Take that extra 10 grand and throw it into advertising. I mean, people are already going on these sites like Etsy and Amazon to find phone cases. You're not going to outrank them on Google. So you might as well, you might as well join that network and really become the top a brand for phone cases within that network um, when you're starting out. So it really depends on your budget. So when someone buys the startup kit, how are they typically selling their cases? Like what has been the most successful sales channel for most people who get started with this business? I would say that people are most interested in starting out with a solid online platform. And what's nice about that is that they have the flexibility of having it as a side job. When you start moving into a lot of retail, um, you're looking at, you know, assuming that responsibility of having to be there 24 seven or hire somebody to do that. And I find that, um, you know, it's about a 75 split to online when they start out versus a 25% split to doing either um, special events, retail, and we can go into a number of other ways that you can actually sell these cases. But um, I think that what's easiest for people to start out with is some sort of online selling channel. What have been the best online channels in your experience? Well, I mentioned the Etsy and the Amazon. Um, and the other, the other main thing right now is that we mentioned, you know, having to spend 10 grand on a website. It's really not the case anymore. I mean, when we were starting this business, sure. But now you have Shopify, who's the e-commerce giant and, and other ones like BigCommerce, um, that basically, you know, you can build it yourself. 
um, and you can have full control of your back end. I mean, that's different than, than if you had someone develop your website, you really wouldn't know how to function the back end. Um, so that's what's really nice about today is that if you want to build a brand, okay, and that's, that's mo one of the most important things is that you can't just jump into this business and not build a brand for yourself and a certain designs that really embody your brand. Um, but once you do, I think that a website of your own is great because you're excluding all the other traffic. People know your brand. They're coming to your site. Um, so there's something to be said for that. So, all right, then for the people who don't want to invest in the startup kit, buy equipment themselves, do the whole sort of like fulfillment end of the business themselves. I know you've been working on some ways for people to get in on selling phone cases without the equipment. So can you tell us about that? Right. So this is our newest kind of venture that we're taking on and we're finding it to be very successful for a lot of these artists out there who are super creative, right? They, but they want to spend all their time designing and making. They don't want to necessarily spend their time on production. Um, so when the orders come in, they'd rather outsource that um, and have a company that they can rely on to send it out next day, package it, ship it right to their customers. And so we started working with a limited number of super talented artists out there and people who either have already established phone case businesses and are looking for like a solid supplier. Maybe they've outgrown their own production and just need an additional resource. Um, but I mean, being based here in the United States, we can get it anywhere in the world in, in a week tops, you know? Um, so it's proving to be a very good channel for them so they can keep expanding without having to worry about their production needs. Rewinding a little bit now, uh, what would you say was the most difficult part of balancing your full-time job as a recruiter, getting an MBA, and working on Casescape all at the same time? Yeah, sometimes I think back on those days, and um, and, and I'm shocked that I could even put it all together. Okay, you, know, you know, it was just like it was just it, it was what it was, you know. And um, it was because when you start your first business, or you know, you're working on something on your own, it's so exciting that it's not like work. Um, but when we when we used to balance it, I mean, we would just find we would we would set specific hours of the day where we were going to devote to case escape, you know, outside of the studying that needed to be done and outside of the the actual, you know, our actual jobs, because <laughs> we both had we had both had full time jobs at the time. But you, you find the time. I mean, when people say they don't have enough time, that's because like just to take a page from Gary Vaynerchuk's book, like you're, you're binging on you're binging on Netflix, you know, and like. If you cut all that out, you're saving 10 hours a week and like, you know, people, you'd be surprised um, at how much you can get done in 10 hours time. So, you know, it really was just growing hour by hour and figuring it all out. Yeah. We used to have such different schedules too. Like I remember, man, I remember working at getting up at like 4.30 in the morning to put in a few hours. Mornings. Yeah. To yeah, try yeah. and like do the work before going to my day job because I wanted to give my best sort of hours of the day, at least for me, to case escape. So you always chose working at night, though. Why was that? Uh, it's I mean, I'm a musician. I just think it's like the musician's mentality, like just the creative struck me at night. And it was like when everybody had already gone to sleep, when things were quiet, you'd rather get up when things were quiet. I would rather like end my day with something successful. Um, and it's just really, I mean, both work. Um, but in the morning I, I find I'm just not as productive. I need like, I, I think I need like the, whenever I'm stepping in the office, for instance, for the first time in the morning, I take care of all the things that are kind of just robotic tasks before my mind starts really getting going. 
Whereas I think you were covering like your most creative things right away and you'd rather work on the, you know, the robotic things in the afternoon. Um, just a, just a matter of preference, I think. Yeah. So it's kind of like knowing yourself first or like knowing your tendencies. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, so, it takes some time to figure that out. But I mean, and, and also it, it could be learned. I mean, if I spent, if you told me, Hey Matt, you have to get up at four, four for the next year and you have to be productive at these times. I'm sure I could train my body to do that, but, um, it's yeah, it wouldn't be, be fun. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't be fun at all. Well, you're on, so you're on the West coast. I'm on the East coast. Right. And a lot of times like I'll, I'll call you at like one in the morning, my time, and you'll be going to bed. <laughs> and I'll be go I'll be going to bed too. It's like literally now we're on the same schedule, which is kind of funny. So. Yeah, that three hours. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I was trying to think back to how much we were earning while Case Escape was still a side project. And I actually couldn't remember a specific figure. I feel like it was probably like one to two thousand dollars a month. Like, do you remember what that was? It's it's hard to classify when something is still a side project. I mean, was it was it before we decided to quit our jobs? Because I, I would have okay. So that's the time. So first of all, we left our jobs at different times for different reasons. Um, but I would say, yeah, we were bringing in maybe like two thousand a month. I would say between the two of us, which was nothing, you know. But but we had the trajectory and the growth pattern where we were like, hey, if we had the extra time devoted to it that we could convert to doing 5,000 a month and end up with 60,000 a year. You know, like we, we, we definitely scaled it out and, and wrote out our growth pattern for five years down the road at that time. So did you feel like at the time when you made that decision to quit your job and when I was doing the same thing, um, what was the biggest push for that decision? Like just looking at the potential, like it just felt right. Or was there like a mathematical equation behind the scenes for you? It was a little bit of both. I mean, I think that um, it was definitely a point where I was ending my MBA, so that was going to free up a lot of time for me. Um, and at the same time, I knew that I could, if I if I needed to, I had the option to, you know, do a little a bit of extra side work to keep the revenue streams coming in. I would all I would never suggest putting yourself in a place where you don't know where your next dollar is ever going to come from, and you're in like. You're in, you're in dire straits because your business won't be successful if you don't have a solid enough backing. Um, so it really is an individual preference. It's like it's it's a game of cat and mouse to figure out exactly when the right time is. But then again, you can't be scared to take the plunge either. Like at some point, you have to do it. If you're an entrepreneur and you want to start a company, you got to do it at some point. So whether we start, whether we did it too early, too late, it's, it's when we did it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it actually ended up being too early, at least, you know, like we, so we did the LA County Fair. Um, that was like, right when I quit my job was, I think the week before the LA County Fair. And I had tried to pitch my boss on sort of like a remote uh, working situation or like, could I, I stagger that. my hours, you know, come into work from like eight to noon and then leave and go to the fair. Like I tried to come up with a creative solution and essentially was just shot straight down. Right. And so right. for me, we did the LA County fair. Um, you know, we had a pretty solid month. We sold our first startup kits from people we met at the fair. Um, right. But then we had kind of a plateau, right? Yeah. So we had an initial proof of concept, but then we didn't know how to, cause we didn't have like a website built for that part of our business yet. So that was like, there was going to be a three month period of time where we needed to ramp that up. We needed to advertise that aspect. We needed to, it's a whole new approach, you know? Um, and so we might not have been ready for that part of it 
you know, having, having had no job and no extra income. Cause we didn't know now, like we need to buy how much equipment and inventory to keep on hold. Like before we just needed phone cases and now we need equipment. So it was like, you know, five times the amount of overhead. It was an interesting time. Yeah. And I think actually one of the most difficult decisions we made around that time was moving back home to opposite sides of the country to cut costs for the company. And I think, you know, Ultimately, at least in my mind, that was a decision that had a pretty strong effect on saving the business in the long run. Would you agree with that? I would say that there are definitely some good aspects in terms of what we did. Also, just spanning east to west, I feel like, you know, having the presence of two offices and saying, hey, like our West Coast clients can handle the West Coast and the East Coast can, like, I think that the way we pitched it anyway. Um, I, I think that it made us a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more cost efficient, um, especially from our living situation. Um, so yeah, in, in a way, I think that that did drastically affect the outcome of the company. I mean, we had to, we had to do something, and you, sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward. Did you view that as a failure at all? That that part of it, that decision to the, move home. No, I wouldn't view it as a failure. No, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I actually felt like it was a mini failure because I think, you know, in my mind, I was I was seeing, you know, bank account numbers going down without having other sources of income for the business. And, you know, for for me, at least moving back home meant going to Cowtown, middle of California, USA. Right. And so, right. you know, when we're talking about homes, going to downtown Philadelphia is not as bad. No, you're, you're right. And it's all about the experience too. Um, and I think that we, we literally went from like a utopia of living in Newport beach right. to where we ended up. And I think that that was maybe part of the, the failure, but I, I don't know. Yeah, yes. A mini failure, but like, you know, you have, you have the setbacks. It was a setback. It was a point where it was like, we have to figure out what we're going to do in order to keep this alive, or we're not going to be able to keep it alive. Yeah. So after that, then we're, we're on separate sides of the country. Do you remember what the next sort of big growth lever was for the company? Like what came after that? Yeah. So that's when, um, our, our Etsy side really started taking off and I started noticing more and more artists and, and, and more, more selling channels. I just like, was like, okay, we have one main selling channel right now. We need, we need more than one. So then we started developing our own like, like I mentioned earlier, our brand, like we needed to expand our brand. So I entered, I introduced a lot of larger clients. That's when Vogue and Clinique came on. Um, and I introduced the order fulfillment program about a year after that for the first time. And we secured our first order fulfillment client. Now we're up to 10. So it was, it was keeping like three, at least three to four selling channels open at once so that when one wasn't good for one quarter, um, we still had the other ones to fall back on. And that's really how we've grown till today. Yeah, I think that's a really good lesson. Diversify, right? So um, on that note, with the Etsy channel in particular, so selling individual case designs, um, pre-made designs, what would you say is like the ballpark range for um, annual income that someone should expect from selling cases on Etsy? So within, within the first year of them starting or? Yeah. So like maybe even just for us when we got started with the Etsy store, because I think I left the company before it had been a full year of selling on Etsy or like right before. Yeah. So we had like set up a shop as a placeholder and then we didn't really get it going until like 2015 was our first big year. So 2014, we opened the shop. We did a little bit at the end. I mean, 
it's also the, the industry is, is seasonal. You know, obviously you're going to be big during the holiday months, whenever a new phone drops, like the galaxy S eight and the S eight plus just dropped. So that was a big selling time for my clients. And then also with the iPhone eight release, that's going to be the biggest hype phone of probably the past couple of years. So that's going to be good. Um, but that being said, I would say on average, we see about 40 to 60,000 in revenue in the first year um, as, as, a, as, an, as a median. Um, and the reason I say that is because you can break it down by cases. I would say that's six to, six to eight cases a day on average you're selling to get to that at like a $20 price point. And what kind of margins do people typically make on the individual case sales? So like through Etsy, how much if they sell one for 20 bucks, how much are they taking home usually? Sure. So they can keep total costs below, if they're making them themselves, total costs below $4 per case and they're selling them for around 20. So you're looking at, you know, over $15 and you can also tack on the shipping obviously and, and pass that on to your customers. Um, now if they were to get them fulfilled through us, it would be uh, $15 cost to them which includes shipping to their customer. So they would price it out accordingly. I like them for our order fulfillment clients to make about $10 a case, whereas I like our, um, our startup kit clients to make like $18, $20 a case if possible. So what would be your advice then to someone who wants to start selling phone cases today? What's the first step you should take? The first step is building that brand, coming up with the concept that's going to separate you from everybody else. Um, Sure, it's great to scour the internet and search for, you know, what what may be the best business ideas of this year. But think about where your strengths are and think about, you know, what you enjoy and what you like to do and where you're going to put that passion behind. Because at the end of the day, you're going to want to tie in your business with something you're super passionate about. And if it's entrepreneurship, luckily with the phone case business, you can cater it towards your your specific passion because your designs and who you sell to and your demographics and how you go about selling them can all be related to what you enjoy doing. So speaking of side projects, you're, you're a man of side projects yourself. Um, you're pretty heavy into music right now. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that's been ongoing since high school. I mean, I've always had a guitar and, and vocals, you know, I've always been writing songs. Um, but then slowly but surely, I started taking it more seriously. And just like now there's new gateways for entrepreneurship, it's a different revolution in terms of music and how it's out there. So we, we were able to get ourselves on all the streaming services and, and have, and we have a full debut full length album coming out in the fall. And I'm fully able to do that along with this business because it's a passion that, you know, fuels the creativity and a way that we can tie the two together is, you know, we started reaching out to a lot of bands to have phone cases as part of their merch. Um, so there's always a way to tie the two together. I like that. I like that. So yeah. I want to get into some of my frequently asked questions now. The questions are intentionally short. Your answers do not need to be equally as short. Okay. So what would be your advice to someone who wants to validate any type of side project idea that they're just getting started on? So phone cases aside, um, what would be your advice to someone who wants to get started with a side project today? I would say have a solid um, basis for how much it's going to cost, not just initially, but for the first six months to a year and make sure that you have enough room to really get it going. Um, I would also say that choose, choose the business wisely. Make sure that 
the numbers make sense. Make sure you're talking to people about it and make sure that um, it's something that you really want to do, not just for the short term to make some extra quick cash, but something you might want to do for the next three, five years, something you really want to grow with. Um, cause I see too many people try to do these get rich quick schemes and it's just not, it's not where it's at. You're not going to be successful at the end of the day. What kinds of sacrifices would you say you've made over the years in order to put in enough time and effort into the business and, you know, particularly, even if we were talking about when it was on the side of your day job? This is, this is my favorite question you've asked so far, because a lot of people seem to think that if you're an entrepreneur and you can set your own hours, that it's great. You know, I mean, why is it not the greatest thing in the world? Well, um, I've, I've every every aspect of my life has been somewhat sacrificed. I mean, even if you look at the hours of the day, okay, fine, I can come into work whenever I want and leave whenever I want. But my suppliers, some of them in China, start at nine o'clock at night. So now, you no, know, my my hours are flipped; they're reversed. Um, a lot of times I am not able to go to certain even family functions or go out with my friends at certain times because of, you know, there's constraints I'm putting. And also sometimes I'm working double quadruple what they're working in their, in their normal nine to five hours. Um, so also I will also mention that, well, you know, you could have a great year, uh, you know, uh, in terms of finances and in terms of sales the next year you might be making half as much. So you really have to be able to handle that. I mean, it's something, it's not. You got you to gotta take the, the goods with the bads, the highs with the lows, and it's not that easy mentally to keep going a lot of the time. Do you have any particular strategies or pieces of advice that you'd give people in, in the context of getting to your first 100 subscribers, 100 followers, 100 customers, whatever sort of like that first big win is? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say um, start with your network, your initial network, and then go out. Don't forget about the core people who really believe in your product who, uh, you know, are going to represent it because those people, especially with the way social media works today, if they like, for instance, we're talking phone cases, right? So if you give, if you give 10 free phone cases to your people with some social media influence and then they're all reposting them, that's instantly getting you somewhere. Um, don't think that your network's too small to be able to grow your business because everybody starts somewhere. So what's been the best investment you've ever made? And that can be sort of in the form of time, money, online tools, products, services, or otherwise. And that can be, I want it to be specifically related to uh, building the business. That's fine. I think that the best decision I ever made was to travel to China um, to, where, to where my suppliers were. Um, not only did I cut costs by like 40% just from a week week long trip, but you get outside of your comfort zone, you go out there, you're experiencing something new. And in that you're seeing the inner workings of what really goes on and how as a U.S. based company, we can make that completely better. Um, you know, because in, in the phone case industry, you are competing with tons of companies over in China and actually pretty much with any company today, you're competing with companies in China. So going to view your competition, keep your enemies closer, these sorts of things was very important for the growth of Case Escape to see how we could beat them out from a quality standpoint and a technological standpoint. With Case Escape, have you had any sort of like validation tests of your own? So trying out new selling channels or trying to go into new markets, have you had any of those um, fail? Tons. I mean, you're, you're always, you're always trying things and we, we like to test the waters with, you know, a specific advertising budget for that. That makes sense where we say, okay, 
if we end up losing all this, we have to be okay with it because it's a new channel for us. Um, for instance, there's the Etsy version of the version of Etsy that's based in Europe. It's called Dewanda. Okay. And we, we took, we took a month to set up on there properly and get every, and there wasn't even that much competition. And we thought, oh man, we're going to, we're going to kill it in this market. Um, and we set up an advertising budget, the whole thing. We haven't received one sale from wow. Dewanda at all. And it's just, it, it, it literally doesn't even make sense, but you don't know until you try. So you have to, you have to be very careful of what goes on. So how do you know when a validation test like that doesn't succeed? You know what? Your uh, what? your fan on your computer just kicked up so loud. Is it okay now? Yeah, yeah, it just got a lot better. Okay, I was just plugging in here, so. Oh, no worries. No worries. Um, let me just re-ask for this last cool. question. Okay, go ahead. All right, Matt. Last question for you: When a validation test like with Dewanda doesn't succeed, how do you know when to throw in the towel, pivot, or move on to something else? Well, like I said, you have to pick you have to pick a certain amount of money that you're okay with investing and also time that you're invested in and then reevaluate when that runs dry and say, are we at break even? Do you see some potential with this selling channel or is there just nothing there? Um, and then you can either you can cater the second round of time and investment to mirror what you think about it. And I think that that's a good strategy. You know, if you see something working, double down, quadruple down on that because what's work if, if something's working as an entrepreneur, like you just have to go all in on that specific thing. So that's my biggest recommendation. I mean, at, if you start seeing wins, then double down. Great parting advice. All right, cool. So can you tell our listeners here today where they can go to learn more about you and about CaseScape? Yes. So um, if you're interested in starting your own phone case business, check us out on caseescape.com. Um, and if you'd like to see any examples of the types of phone cases we sell, check out our Etsy page because it's a great representation of what you can get started. Um, and it's just basically going to Etsy and typing case escape right into the search bar and we'll pop right up. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Ryan. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.